0: to actually think of it as a learning technology rather than, say, some organisations will use it as more of a marketing technology, say at trade shows. Or some universities I know use VR for campus tours, for example, so that opens it up to people who can't visit in person. So thinking about what is the need for VR and how will it solve this problem, rather than saying, let's use VR, Okay, what for?
1: My name is Tiffany Snyder, and I'm joined today by co-host Mike Jones. Welcome, Mike.
2: This is the virtual, Mike. Thank you.
1: Oh, my goodness. I'm not used to playing off of Mike. We have Brad Garner on the show so much. I got to rethink my responses and everything.
2: <laughs> got to catch you off guard. I've got to keep you on your toes in this new universe.
1: Yeah, and our guests on their toes, too. Well, we are joined again today. We had part one last week, so if you missed it, you can go back and listen. But we're bringing back to the show today, Sophie Thompson of Virtual Speech. Welcome back, Sophie. Thanks, Tiffany. We're gonna dive right in to where we left off last week, and actually move from the conversation of what is the impact of VR education to what are the challenges. So that's where we're headed today. So, Sophie, when folks want to use Virtual Speech, what is the best access point? What equipment might they need how do they access virtual speech
0: the best way would be to have a virtual reality headset so that they can experience the immersion of virtual reality which is really important for evoking that emotional response but if they for example weren't looking for immersion and that emotional response and they were more interested in the feedback element, for example, then they could just use the online simulations, which you can just access through a normal web browser. And all of our courses have an e-learning component as well, which can be accessed online. Or if they just want to use the virtual reality simulations, they can also do that.
2: Very cool. So anything from a 2d browser to Google Cardboard with a phone to full VR, it's all accessible?
1: Yeah.
0: So we don't really recommend via like Google Cardboard anymore because Google apps stopped part of the infrastructure that VR apps were built on. So we can't add in the functionality to mobile VR VR accessible through cell phones anymore that we used to be able to. But that is a really good entry point for people, certainly in terms of cost it is. It's lower quality because it relies on the graphics in your cell phone, which obviously aren't as high as say on a computer or in a virtual reality headset. I would actually either recommend the online simulations or accessing through something like a Quest 2 headset. And actually when it comes to things like using Quest 2 headsets if people are working at a high school level university VR training in the workplace people don't need a VR headset each they can share and, and that tends to be what happens that clients will have a few headsets at a central location that people come and borrow like a library so that that price point isn't as scary as it might initially sound.
1: I wondered: are you aware of clients' specifically in education, but it could be in corporate as well, where people work remotely and are spread out and are interested in using VR or virtual speech for training. Do you have any ideas about scalability or how they would kind of overcome those challenges if they can't say, you know, hey Mike, stop by my office and you can borrow the headset. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: so we have a couple of clients who have given VR headsets to say 250 employees and they now have a headset each. And with clients like that, their their end goal really is to have VR headsets as part of the onboarding process. So whereas we join a company now, you, you probably get given a cell phone and a laptop, they want to add a VR headset into that for things like training or meetings as well.
1: I was just thinking about the university you work for. There is a main campus where I can see how students and faculty and staff could all rent or borrow headsets to do some of these exercises. But we also have this online campus where we have thousands of students and employees that are spread out. And while we may not be able to invest in a headset for everyone, especially as students, you know, come in and then graduate uh, passing through. I'm trying to think of how to scale. Yeah.
0: I think that's where things like not quite Google Cardboard, but the ones for cell phones, like Merge VR can be really useful. I would say at a high school university level and the online simulation's will still provide people with that practice. They can still upload their own PowerPoint, for example, into the simulation. They can still upload their own notes. They get everything that you would in the VR app. You just don't have that immersion. But if that immersion isn't that important to somebody, then the scalability comes with having the desktop version to access as well.
2: I think another place maybe we're missing in education that the business world has figured out is the use of it for onboarding our own employees and training for things like hostile shooter environments or, you know, high stress simulations with customers, customer service type things. And I know there's some companies out there using it, but in education, we tend to think of it as for the student. And we don't really think about it for the university, but I could see things like virtual speech and what you guys do there being super helpful for even our internal use as a company versus not just with an educational push to our students, because we're always students.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. I was actually speaking to a teacher at a high school here, and she was talking about how it would be really useful for her to practice her presenting and she said as a teacher you're presenting all the time and bless her she was saying I'm really conscious of of who I'm looking at in the room and I try to look at people equally so that they have the same learning experience and she said but I do sometimes wonder if I'm looking at the students more who are more engaged because they're looking at me too and she was then reflecting on how that might then impact people's learning if she's not looking at them enough. And something like VR would help her to measure that eye contact. And yeah, I thought that was really interesting.
2: Yeah. Still kind of under the challenges of VR and things I'm processing and thinking through too, is what is virtual speeches take or your take on how we overcome things like people that get motion sick, or have disabilities, they're missing one or more of their senses. What's that environment look like and what can we be doing to forward think some of that?
0: Yeah. So in terms of accessibility, I think that is very difficult ultimately in VR and and the metaverse. And, And one of the ways that can be overcome, for example, if somebody doesn't have their site is Incorporating spatial audio. So, what are the other things that make us feel something? It's not just what we see, it's what we hear, it's what we sense. So, how can we replicate that in VR? And that's spatial audio would be very big for that. So, I think that's one of the biggest things in terms of people who have motion sickness in VR. There's a few things really that can help. And one of them is that a lot of people. If they say they have motion sickness and you ask them what VR experience they tried, it will be a VR roller coaster. And that is going to make you <laughs> yeah, feel sick. Though.
2: That's terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, I think you're lucky if you don't feel sick on a VR roller coaster because the whole reason motion sickness happens is because it disrupts that balance equilibrium. So if you're sitting still, but then you put on a headset and your brain thinks you're on a roller coaster, but your body's not moving there is a serious mismatch (laughs) so you're more likely to feel motion sickness and when it comes to education I think one of the biggest things is about the content that people use and they make sure that the learning experiences aren't moving around loads or moving around too much or for example they don't even actually have to move at all in some instances like public speaking yes it's good if people walk around but They don't have to. So it's about making sure the environment around them isn't moving too much. I would also say limiting the time that somebody spends in VR. So I'm a big advocate for not using VR just for the sake of it or just because of the novelty, really. So, for example, we design all of our VR experiences that you're not in VR for longer than 12 minutes at a time. Because it's something that's very different for your brain to process. If the first time you put on a VR headset, you were in there for an hour, that is going to disorientate you a bit. So, yeah, the design of the content, the length of time, little things like making sure the room is cool, and also not necessarily in terms of motion sickness, but also making sure you feel psychologically safe in that place to have a headset on. Because some people do feel. Vulnerable with a headset on, especially when I don't know if you've been to conferences or trade shows where people have a VR headset there to try and entice people over. And people put on a headset and then their colleagues will be laughing at them and taking pictures. And that can really put people off VR as well if they've experienced something like that. So it's making sure that people feel safe too, so that they can just be focused on the experience. That's my top tips for avoiding motion sickness.
2: Great tips. Awesome.
1: Yeah, and it seems like you've already just covered a lot of the challenges of VR education. Are there some that we missed that we haven't asked you about that you want to highlight?
0: Yeah, the biggest challenge from the get-go is the cost. And even though headsets aren't as expensive as people think, so for example, the Quest is $299 dollars, When we're talking from an educational perspective or even at a lot of companies, that's still a lot of money and individuals, that's a lot of money. So it's not like headsets are thousands of dollars anymore. they are a couple of hundred, but that still is a problem for people. And especially with a new technology, if they're writing grants, for example, to be able to source the hardware is they have to prove that it's going to enhance learning or increase confidence or lead to more students getting jobs, those kinds of things. So yeah, even though the costs are coming down and I think the mindset around costs as a society will change a bit as well, that is still the biggest barrier. And that's partly why we also develop our simulations as online simulations to, to open up that accessibility.
2: Very cool. I always tell people, you know, you could buy three headsets for the cost of one iPhone nowadays just as a cost comparison and i've seen some textbooks go for 250 up that we require students to buy for their classes so i'm wondering oh. if down the road education starts to say hey there's a tech fee involved in this degree program because you're going to be required to have x hardware or something like that so
0: that's really interesting i had not thought of it like that before <laughs>
2: So we talked about some challenges of VR. We've kind of went through some of the significant impact inside education and outside of education. So where should colleges and universities be in that higher ed space with all of this XR technology, especially with the metaverse and what it's bringing? And and I'll argue that metaverse has been around a long time. We're just now realizing how we can use it. But where should we be in your opinion from your seat with virtual speech and as someone that works in this industry? Are we behind? Are we on par? Where are we?
0: <laughs> From my experience, I would say that the education space is on par. Or well, actually, we've been really surprised at how innovative lots of universities have been. So when we first started as a company, and we were talking about universities using it, lots of people said to us, "Oh, don't bother with <laughs> with education. <laughs> like they don't have the money. <laughs> they they definitely don't <laughs> want it." But actually, people recognise that something like virtual speech but also other VR education apps that there's a real value to them and I think it's more about if people see value and if they do have some kind of budget or grant funding that then the content will come along with that my biggest thing in terms of education and workplace training is to be solution-led not product-led so don't go down the VR route just because metaverse is a hot topic at the moment and it would be cool to add it because then you're just going down it for the novelty route and you're not actually seeing if students want it if students could benefit from it so to actually think of it as a learning technology rather than say some organizations will use it as more of a marketing Technology, say at trade shows or some universities I know use VR for campus tours for example so that opens it up to people who can't visit in person so thinking about what is the need for VR and how will it solve this problem rather than saying let's use VR okay what for so are students getting really anxious about presentations do they need a better way to prepare for job interviews are they unengaged over zoom calls so i know that stanford a few months ago was the first university to lead a class entirely in virtual reality and if you think how many students nowadays take classes over zoom if you put on your vr headset for that class you're instantly more engaged in that class and it's different um other Universities, I think it's Morehouse College, have digital twin campuses, which leads to those campus tours or everybody can meet in a seminar room. So mm. those are all focused around engagement. The campus tours are more around accessibility. And so those are solution-led. But I think it's important whenever we talk about any new technology or, or education technology to not lead with the novelty factor. Yes
1: you saying that yeah I think that even with your position and what you're out promoting um you wouldn't have to you wouldn't have to take that stance so publicly it's tempting for all of us to take that novelty approach but it's wonderful when you know the person behind the technology is the one saying don't don't do that (laughs) remember (laughs) you're an educator
2: (laughs) right Right. I think about being a faculty member. I've got a pre-production production production course that requires lighting and using either a 2d browser delivery of that, or a full VR version of a lighting studio for our students that don't maybe have the same finance to be able to buy lights or buy a camera and different lenses and stuff like that. So i give them that experience in that space. They could still be doing. So it's one of those practical applications. However, when I think about that, as a teacher teaching full on in VR space, it's gonna be a little different. And so I've taught over Zoom, I've taught face-to-face. Is there any tips or pointers maybe that you might have for a faculty member to use practically as they think about teaching in this environment versus real life or over Zoom?
0: I would say in terms of teaching in virtual reality, I wouldn't have too many people in the VR space at once, especially when starting out, because, I mean, if you think, say, when you first enter a Zoom call, if nobody was on mute and there's 100 students, that's going to be chaotic. <laughs> oh,
2: yes. so,
0: so not having too many people in at once, looking out for features in VR apps like muting people as they come in, but also because, in my opinion, the idea of using it is To bring the experience to life, to make people feel like they are physically there and evoke that emotional connection and sense of presence is how do you do that? You don't just bring them into VR and you stand there and you teach in the same way that you would in real life because they haven't got that physical presence there. So I think it's important to have interactivity if it's the first time they're going into VR to set aside that first 10 minutes for everybody just to go, wow, this is so cool. Like, ha, ha look, I can dance. Like <laughs> to, to have that moment of awe before you then try and focus them down and, and yeah, make use of the tools that are available in VR. So you can do like virtual whiteboards, you can do virtual breakout rooms and making use of them. And then when it comes to using VR alongside more traditional instruction, then I would say to to provide students with a place where they can use VR on their own. So whether that's for like homework, for example, or coursework, because some people feel vulnerable in headsets, other people, if they perhaps aren't as tech savvy as other members of their class, they might feel nervous putting on the headset and, and feel a bit exposed doing that. So yeah, I would recommend ideally people having a place where they can use vr on their own and independently
2: excellent tips thank you
1: yeah i'm just realizing that we could probably ask you questions <laughs> out of our own curiosity for another hour uh, but we are I'm really enjoying it <laughs> ah! i'm like this isn't enough um uh, which means there just needs to be a part three especially in the coming months and even years. So one thing I think is so neat about virtual speech and what you're doing is it was 2016, right? When you launched 2016. So it's not something that started during or after COVID or as a response to that at all or after the pandemic. This is something that you've been investing in for years and you have so much wisdom in this area. And as some of us just now start to, you know, dip our toes in the water of what this means. I'm a little farther behind than Mike here is. But um, as we start to experiment with this, it's just nice to have someone that we can turn to that we know has this educational perspective and our podcast is for the educator. So it's nice to have you as a reference point and to just stay abreast of what's going on with virtual speech, because there might be 25 classes today, but we don't know how many classes there'll be the next time we talk so hopefully we'll be (laughs) unveiling a new one that'd be great yeah thank you
2: absolutely thank it has been such a joy and i do have a hundred more questions but we'll go ahead and wrap up on time i think today thank you for joining us sophie it's been an absolute pleasure to learn more about virtual speech and yourself
0: thank you very much I, i really enjoyed it and yeah i'd love to come back on
1: Yes, we are going to also, for all the people listening, we will provide links to virtual speech, to Sophie's LinkedIn page, connect you with her work as much as possible, and really try to summarize you know, what we talked about today and the takeaways that will lead us into the future of VR and the metaverse. So thanks everyone for listening. Be sure to check out our website, www.digitaltolearn.com with a numerical two, and join us next week on the Digital to Learn podcast. Thank you for joining us on Digital to Learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, there are three things we ask you to do. One, come back and join us again. Two, tell your friends about us. And three, give us a positive ranking on your favorite podcast platform. Digital to Learn is brought to you by the Center for Learning and Innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University. Embrace the future. Always keep learning.